Savannah. We're happy to have you with us on this wonderful Wednesday night. Uh, I know they're going to be piping the live streamers in a minute. If you're already on, it's good to see you tonight, live streamers. If not, I'll say hi in a couple minutes to you. But come on in, grab a seat. We'll get ready to start church. Kids are up here for worship tonight. Then after, uh, after worship, you can check them into Kids Church. So come on in. Again, it's good to see you. Now, I do have some uh, announcements for you. So um, uh, come on in, and we'll get started. You can look around and say hi to somebody quickly if you want to. Mm-hmm. All right, I got some, some things for you. First off, don't forget July 10th, right after church. That's just in our two or three weeks coming up. We have a church picnic at the Millers, okay? And uh, we're providing the chicken, and then you guys bring the sides and all the extras and whatever you bring, that's what we'll have. If you don't bring nothing, we'll just have chicken. So that's just the way that works. So I hope you bring something. Um, but anyways, that's July 10th at the Millers. We'll have a good time there. And as Tom said, he wants to play Euchre. So anybody wants to be a part of that, be ready for that. And we'll just have a good time. So that's July 10th. Also, don't forget, I think I got a little bit of a ring up here, Chris. I don't know if that's just me in my head or not. But um, July the 16th, Ladies, Coffee and Crafts Day. Margo, is there anything I need to tell them about that? No. Okay, so that's at 10 a.m. Sign up, please, at the back. It's 10 a.m. that morning. If you need more information, you can see Margo or Kelly about that. Um, and, of course, then Pump 2022 is our, our summer camp for our young people, 5th to 12th grade. Uh, that's coming up at the end of July. There is a poster on the backboard back there. It has a QR code. If you put that on your phone, it takes you to sign up and all that business. And by the way, uh, if, if you want your youngster to go, uh, but the finances are an issue, please talk to me about it. I don't ever want money to be a problem with, with uh, somebody going to camp, okay? So don't be uh, shy to come about that. Um, Joy Fellowship this Sunday. And uh, at 5 p.m., bring something to share. Always a good time. It's one of our small groups that happens here at the church. And the very last announcement, but the most important one coming up is this coming Sunday begins our Fort Courage Vacation Bible School. So we're looking forward to that. That's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, 6 to 8 p.m. each night. Doors will be open for check-in at 5.30. Now, uh, we'll hand these out tonight and also Sunday for those who aren't here tonight. I have two pieces of paper. One's blue and one's yellow. So if you're a parent and your child is coming to the Vacation Bible School, raise your hand up and you're going to get these papers. One paper uh, gives you the, the Bible uh, memory verses, kind of the theme, which is the armor of God and so forth, so you know what's happening. This, the blue paper has some important information on it. It talks about uh, the visitor contest, the giving contest between the boys and the girls. It also tells you the theme for each night. So Sunday night, it's Fort Courage, it's camo night. All right, so come on out in your camo. Now, by the way, Samara wanted me to tell you, if you want to wear your camo Sunday morning, you can. All right, you don't have to wait for the Bible school that night. Anyway. Monday night, the, the game outside involves some water, so they have to be prepared for that and how they dress. And then Tuesday night is crazy hair night again. So anyhow, that's coming up uh, starting Sunday night at 6 o'clock. We're after church Sunday. We're going to set up and get ready for it and be ready for all the kids coming on Sunday night. You want to say something? You may. You have five bucks? Oh, okay. Hold on, let me turn this on. 
What are you going to say? Yeah, no. No, I just want to say, um, I just want to thank you guys for allowing us to be with our family this weekend. We. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, was, we, we actually left like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Saturday morning, drove to Nashville, spent Saturday, then Sunday went to church at Gavin's church where he works, and then came back Monday afternoon. So it was a quick Nashville turnaround. But uh, it was just so, um, for parents to see your kids and see what they're doing and see that they're, I don't know, his church, right? Yeah, it was yeah, amazing yeah. to see where they were. And I just want to thank you guys for... I don't know. I know we could have gone without your permission, but it's nice to know that, you know, we, that you're here and, you yeah, know. Yeah, the church was still standing when we came back. Yeah. So that's good. That's I good. mean, that's so. not what I'm saying, but. That's a, that's a bonus. That's you a know bonus. what I mean. So thank you guys for, yeah. for well, that. And the reason she's doing this is because not too long down the road, we're going to Idaho to see my other son. So she's just kind of. That's not what I'm doing. I'm legitimately saying thank you. In the future. But, uh, but to see our kids yeah. is amazing, and yeah. Yeah. it's a parent's heart, you know? Yeah. So. All right, well, good deal. All right, everybody, let's stand up and, and head into worship tonight. <laughs> I was buried beneath my shame.
chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. Now you call me a citizen of
in. And I just, I hear the Lord just, he put it on my heart. If you have kids, you know, all the time they want junk food. They want sweet drinks. They want sweet treats. They would rather have that than any vegetable or anything healthy that they can ask for. But how good does it feel when they're like, mom, can I have a glass of water? And you're just like, oh, thank goodness. They want something good for them. And I just, the Lord is saying, what are you asking for? Is it just this extra stuff that you don't need? Or are you asking for more of me? Something that's truly going to fill you up. Something that will truly satisfy and something that's good for you. He knows exactly what you need. And so we're going to sing that again. And if we just seek first the kingdom, all will be added. The Bible says that all of his promises are yes and amen. So we can believe this as a promise that it will be so, that if we seek it for everything that we need will be added. What are you asking for? I just encourage you while we sing this to ask him for something good. Lord, we want more of you. We want to be filled up with you. I want to hear more clearly from you. I want to desire you more than anything else. Finances, that's a back burner thing. A raise, back burner. Getting a bigger house, back burner. New car, back burner. I want you, Lord. And we just cry out. I just encourage you to cry out for more of Him tonight. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom. And all will be added, all will be added, all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom, and all will be added, all will be added. Seek first. The kingdom and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom and all will be added. Seek first the kingdom and all will be added. All will be added. You will be filled. You will be
Well, everybody, it's good to have you. Um, I know they're checking uh, kids in the kids' church. We'll give them a second to uh, make their way back up here before we get into the, the book of Romans tonight. But I trust Pastor Rick did a good job Sunday. Yeah. And I know it's always good to get a different voice in the house, and I look forward to it, to have somebody else here besides me. That's always a good thing. Um, it, it is on, uh, again, the tad on the warm side in here tonight. I know that. Um, these uh, we're, we're keep getting caught what they call these heat domes where it's pushing 90 degrees. It's a little warmer than it normally is this time of year. Uh, what we discovered, we, we had a couple of Wednesdays last year like this, but not too many. Uh, but we're discovering on these hot Wednesdays that the air conditioning has trouble keeping up. I, after last Wednesday, I spoke with a gentleman who came and, and looked at our air conditioning not long before that. And they're going to send somebody back and give us a recommendation on what we can do. Just to take one more step to deal with these nights. So I'm just waiting to hear back from them. And once we do that, hopefully we can take care of it. So I appreciate you bearing with it being about a few degrees, a little warm in here. So, but that's okay. We're still here for church. We'll make it. I hope. Um, I'm kidding. All right, so we're going to jump into the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, open up to the book of Romans. We're doing a long series on Wednesdays on the book of Romans. We're not doing a verse-by-verse walkthrough, maybe some highlights to the chapters, although uh, the more I'm... Oh, I'm sorry. I will do that in just a second then. Thank you for reminding me. But the more I I get into this, the more you have to sort of work your way through it in that manner to catch what Paul's doing in the book of Romans. But anyways, let's take up tithing often, which I forgot, and we'll tackle it. Don't want to forget that, amen? Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, again for being here tonight. I pray as we give, Lord, that we are just reaffirming who you are in our lives as our provider. The testimony of the scriptures is always that you are in provision for your people. And, And we thank you for that provision in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have something to give, you may bring it. I I was chit-chatting with the the pastor at the church we were visiting on Sunday, and he he was about to, I don't know, it was just in the next couple weeks, I thought. Yeah, he's on a month-long sabbatical, um, which, which they do. But he told me, he said, they told me I was going to take a four-month sabbatical. And I was just like, wow, that would be phenomenal. Um, but I was like, wow, that's crazy. He got them down to a month. But it's not unusual, by the way, for, for that stuff to happen. But that's why Margaret was saying that, that we appreciate that when we do, uh, we don't miss much when we do. It's okay, and, and we get away and refresh and, and recharge ourselves sometimes. That's important. All right? So, all right. Book of Romans. So Paul, writing to the churches in Rome um, to address some things, how much he knew about what was happening in the churches of Rome. It's sort of up in the air, although we know in chapter 16 he makes personal greetings to to several people there. So he knew of people there. Um, But Paul was planning on visiting Rome. He had been for a while but hadn't got there yet. But Paul wanted to visit Spain and stop at Rome on his way to Spain. 
And Paul writes this letter um, to the churches in Rome in anticipation of his visit there, um, maybe, maybe to address some things. Uh, it, it's, it's sort of maybe thought that he wanted to sort of establish an outpost in Rome so he can further push uh, past Rome with the gospel and use it sort of as a base from there. Um, he writes this letter, and it, uh, as we, we talked last week, I won't spend too much on what we talked about last week. He writes this letter. Uh, a, a woman named Phoebe carries the letter to Rome. Uh, we see that in, in chapter 16. When we get to chapter 16, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of those things. But Paul is basically making sure that everybody's on the same page about what the gospel is. And he works out what it means to live by faith in the book of Romans. That, that's sort of a, a snapshot. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 1, we can go there in verse number 16. This is sort of the thesis of the book of Romans. Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile, to the Jew first because God does not overlook his chosen people. And certainly know Jesus was a Jew. And then certainly uh, Jesus himself was sent to the lost sheep of Israel first and then to the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God or the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of covenants of God that brings people into right relationship with him is revealed. In other words, who God is and, and his saving power is revealed in the gospel. For it is faith from faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And, he, and he's drawing uh, from the prophet Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse number 4 of that prophet's book, as Paul uses the Old Testament scriptures to support what he's saying, that the gospel has been promised and foretold by the prophets that have come before, and is certainly then in the fulfillment of the law in which he deals with so much in this book. Now, it's interesting, in my own personal time, I'm reading the book of Galatians, and I'm doing uh, this work in Romans, and those are two nice bedfellows together. So I would encourage you uh, that during this series over the next uh, probably couple of months that we're in Romans, take time to read through the book of Romans, uh, kind of stay up with where we're at on our, our Wednesdays in it. And if you want to, sort of a, a great companion to Romans is the book of Galatians because, uh, it, it, as I said last week, it deals with issues of law versus living by faith. Galatians is more of a hard-hitting, Paul wasn't putting up with it anymore kind of thing. He's kind of, it's, it almost comes across, as, as some scholars say, that uh, Paul was maybe a little agitated when he writes the book of, of Galatians, as Romans is much more diplomatic in its dealing with these things. So you put those together, it gives a good snapshot of Paul when he talks about living by faith versus the works for the law and those kind of things. So we only made it to... Uh, chapter 1, verse number 17 last week. So let, let's pick up where we left off. Chapter 1 and verse number 18. And right after Paul, in this great thesis of, of the book of Romans, as it's called, um, he is not ashamed of taking the gospel. As a matter of fact, right before that, it says he's eager to preach the gospel. And Paul in his, his calling as an apostle, he's eager to take the gospel in his calling to the Gentiles. Why? Because he's not ashamed of it. 
that we would never be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. But why is he not ashamed of it? Because in the gospel is the power of God. And all the activity and the mighty works of God is displayed in the gospel for our salvation. Now what Paul starts to do right after this in verse number 18, he starts to set up a test case of why we need the gospel. Um, and, and if we're going to kind of walk through this a little bit, he, he spends the next little bit here directly uh, addressing Gentile believers that would be on the receiving end of this letter in Rome. Right after that, he kind of addresses the, the whole audience, as you would say, if it's the Gentile hearing it, it's the Jewish believer hearing it, or maybe there's some scattered Jews that somehow are catching this also. He kind of addresses them together, and, and he pulls them together. Then he directly addresses Jewish people that are believers that are listening to this. At less, because what he's going to do right now is he's going to set the case of why we need the gospel, and he pretty much calls the Gentiles out for their sin. Unless the Jewish believers get all happy about it, then he goes and gets them too. As we'll see, he gets them all, okay? But why is the gospel important? Why do we need the gospel? Verse 18 of chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, the, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, and what's, what's the truth is talking about, of, of the gospel, of Jesus, the good news. Now, that is why the gospel is important. As we'll see as Paul really gets into it in chapter 3, that in, in, the, in the famous Roman road, you can pick it out through, through uh, the book of Romans, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody has fallen in sin. And we'll talk about really what that means when we get there. Why is the gospel needed? Because of sin. But because there is sin, there is the wrath of God that is coming. We are objects of wrath because of our sin. That's why the gospel is important. Because God loves us enough to save us from his wrath. So the gospel comes... Now, now notice if verse 17, if you want to jump back there and whoever's working, Elijah, roll with me. You're doing a great job. But uh, notice it says, for in it, or, or the gospel, the righteousness of God, the faithfulness of God, uh, the, the bringing right relationship with God is revealed in what? The gospel. But notice verse 18, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed. So he's contrasting the righteousness of God, which is revealed, with the wrath of God which is revealed. Because both are true. And we need to be aware that the wrath of God is coming because of sin. Again, we're not sugarcoating Christianity here. There is a wrath because of sin. Now, it's being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and the unrighteousness that suppresses the truth. Now, what Paul does is, for Gentiles, for those that were not of the chosen people, the Jews that, that had the special revelation from God in, in the oracles of God, which we'll, we'll see in the law that was given, 
there may be an argument, well, since they weren't chosen and called and given a way to live, is it really fair that wrath is against them? So over the next couple of chapters, Paul lays out three kind of different points as to why wrath against the Gentiles is warranted and that he is just in his wrath. And here's the first kind of way he lays it out. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Well, how did that happen? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, which is unseen, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So Paul is saying, look, you see this wonderful creation around you? That is evidence of a God who exists. If you really want to think about it. Now, now you guys know I'm an outdoors guy. You know I'd rather much be out there than in here. I, I, I'm, of, I'm of the opinion that if all you do is spend time within things that man makes, you're missing some things that you will learn by being out in what God has made. You see? Creation is a mode of the revelation of the power and the majesty of God. Okay? And you catch that in your heart. Creation is not God. That's a whole other religion. But creation shows that there is a God out there who made this, and Paul is saying that because of that, that's one reason why we are left without excuse for our sin. Now, by the way, it's not that you go out and let's say you look at the starry night, you know, it's a clear night, and you see, you see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of stars, and you stand there and wonder and all, and all of a sudden you're struck with this thought, you know what, I bet there was some guy named Jesus who at one point died on a cross. You know what? He rose from the dead. And, and he's sitting at the right hand of, of the Father in power and glory right now. You, you don't come to that revelation. But you come to a revelation that God is out there. And you begin to attribute to him the wonder and the glory and the all that he is due. Okay? Now... Verse 21, for all day they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, so idols. Therefore, God, watch this, this is important. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. And, and now jump down to verse 26. And, and, and it mirrors what we just read. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So what we're finding is that man in his own wisdom, which is foolishness, desired to live in a simple way, denying that this God who is there, giving glory and honor to him, 
And in that, that God simply let their hearts rule them. He gave them over to their lust and their passions. Okay? That is, that is the state of every person, by the way. That when you do not come into submission to God, ultimately you are given over to the sinfulness of your own heart. See? And then what happens is the ever-increasing sin on this earth, we see things start to happen like Paul lists here. So uh, if you want to read down through, I won't, I won't hit them all. So after verse 24, uh, to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, uh, down past uh, verse 26, uh, for the women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. So it's talking about sexual impurity, talking about homosexuality. And then if you read on, there's a whole bunch of other stuff there. So God is calling through Paul the Gentiles out for their sin and letting them know that there is wrath due for this kind of lifestyle, this way of living. That the passions, lust, the evil of your heart overtakes you and you live in it. That is why the gospel is needed. Amen. Now, I want you to catch something here before we move on from this. How does God respond to the evilness in our world, including the, the sins that were listed there? How does he respond? It's important. You, you believe in God, right? How does God respond? Well, there's wrath coming because God is just. Wrath is coming. But how does God respond knowing of our sin and knowing there's penalty for sin? How does he respond? The good news of Jesus Christ revealed in the gospel. That's how God responds. That is the kingdom of God. That God would reach out to those who are lost in their sin. And we'll, we'll get to this in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, where Paul writes, while they were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God responds. As a matter of fact, that lead into Romans 5, 8 that I just said, but God shows his great love for us in this. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. How does God respond to the mess of our world? He comes and he dies for us in order to save us from coming wrath. Think about that. Now, here's what happens is I know sometimes we want wrath to come because there's certain groups of people we'd like to see get wrath. How many know what I'm talking about? But to see things the way God sees it is, I want to save them. They're my creation. I made them. I desire, in some of the words we're going to pick up in Romans, reconciliation, right, relationship. I want them to be justified in my sight, righteous. You see? That is the gospel. So God is laying out through Paul a case here that, yes, sin is in this world. But he desires to do something about it. 
and that is what Paul is unashamed of in his preaching. The gospel of Jesus, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Gentiles, how many of y'all here are a Gentile? That's, that's everybody here. Unless you're a Jew, unless you're Jewish in heritage, you're a Gentile. That's everybody else. The Gentiles need the gospel. I need the gospel. So, so I'm, my heritage is Swiss German. Boozer, German. I mean, that's easy to make some connections right there if you think about it. All right? My mom's side uh, were Swiss, came over right before the Revolutionary War, okay? The, the homestead where they is still there, all right? I know my heritage. I'm Gentile. My entire family needs the gospel. Amen. You need the gospel. Why? Because we are lost in our sin. You may not have ever participated in those particular sins that Paul lists there, but we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay. We can jump down to chapter 2 then. Now, here, here's the connector. So, Chapter 2, uh, 1 through 11 or so, kind of is a connector between uh, exposing the sin of the Gentiles, then he starts to deal in, with, with the Jewish hearers of this letter after it. But watch what he says, chapter 2, verse number 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, here's what I find in the church. Everybody listen to me. There are some passages of Scripture where there is an allowment for us to judge one another. Okay? But what I also find in the church is there are certain people that are very wanting to hold on to this. I just want to be able to judge everybody. In the church, out of the church. I, and, and Motivation-wise, I think, I think they, they feel like they're in a spot they can correct everybody because they know everything. Or I don't, I don't know what it is. But Paul is saying here, I'm exposing the sin of the Gentiles. We're going to get to the, the Jews in a minute. But you who judge... Are you yourself a sinner who needs saved by grace? Then you best be careful in thinking you just go judge everybody. Okay? I, I think some people believe they, they possess some sort of truth that allows them to judge people. Well, Paul is saying you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So God is the one who judges. Now, that doesn't mean there's freedom and there's never accountability. There's, there's never uh, any kind of admonishment. That's not what I'm saying. But when we feel like we, we possess truth, we get to judge. I get to judge you, and I get to judge you, and I get to judge people in the church, and I get to judge people out of the church, I would calmly bring us back right here. Careful, you'll condemn yourself. Because you practice saying, well, I don't do that, but you're a sinner. Well, I'm saved, yeah, but are you perfect? Nope. Careful. 
you're, you're chucking rocks from your own glass house. And Paul says that in that, you actually condemn yourself. Now, again, this is a, this is a, a connector kind of thing where, where Paul, remember, they're, they're having some issues there between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he's sort of getting at, quit judging each other. for how you practice and for your food restriction. Quit judging each other. As a matter of fact, later on in the book of Romans, he deals with this whole thing of those who, who, who are, are stronger should bear with the faith of those who are weaker. And, and, and quit judging each other. Because if you're not careful, you'll condemn yourself because you in some way are doing the same sort of things. Watch yourself, okay? But, but watch what Paul says. Verse 3, do you suppose, O oh man, that you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? That, that's cer certainly a, a rhetorical question. Well, absolutely not. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Notice what he's saying here. That God has kindness and his forbearance and his patience. And it is in these things that lead you to repentance. Right? So instead of judging other people, why don't you practice forbearance and kindness and patience to help lead them to repentance if they are, in fact, in sin? Right? Okay. Verse 5, but because of your hard and, and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous, righteous judgment will be revealed. So in other words, if you have been in repentance, but don't show the same things that led you to repentance towards other people, then you didn't learn the lesson. Right? The Bible says in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking, judge, well, let's me be judged. In the measure you use, that's the measure you're going to get, my paraphrase. So while there is admonishment and correction and things within the church, we have to be careful that it's not a judgment in a certain way that's out of the context of what those specific things mean lest we fall under judgment simply because we judge other people. So in other words, uh, if, if you want to be judgmental and harsh towards somebody else because of this certain thing, that same kind of meticulous, uh, uh, whatever you want to say, at that person is how God is going to judge you. Think about that. That could be a scary thought. Right? So kind of like this. So it's not, not like... Uh, it's not like all doctrine goes, and there's certainly heresy and things like this, but, but I see some people out there that think it's their job to correct everybody's doctrine. Be, why would you do that? Apparently because you figured the whole thing out yourself. Right? Why, why else would you be doing it? But you know then God will judge your doctrine the same way? So I hope you have it right. 
Do you see what I'm getting at? It, discussion and, and, and uh, proper interaction about, sure. But just standing over top and it, better be careful. You better hope the plank is out of your eye because if it's not, then the same kind of judgment comes to you. So again, there are these things in the church, but I think people want a license to do it how they want, and they fall on the error side of it and are in, in way of possible condemnation from God because of it. So take that warning from Paul, okay? All right, let's, let's get beyond that. Verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will be, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. In other words, what we were saying last week, there is no favoritism here. So for those who do Seek good things, seek honor, seek the righteous way of living. There is a reward of, of, of eternal life, first for the Jew, the chosen people. God does not overlook those who are chosen by him, but also for the Gentile. There is no partiality there. Both are in it. But also the same way in judgment. God doesn't show partiality. We are judged for what we have done, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. There is no partiality there. So both in reward and judgment, it is for everybody who's on the hearing end of this letter. Paul's making a case here. Verse 12, where are we at? Okay. Now, here, here gets into some things. Uh, let me just maybe walk through this just for a moment. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, or the law is the means of judgment to them. So there are those who have not received the law. There are those who have. In both cases, they're judgment, okay, based on where you are at with God and what you have received from him, okay? Now watch this. Now he's talking about to the law here. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So if you have received the law, it's not just that you have it. It's not just you heard it. It's as if you do it. Okay? Now, the Jewish people felt there was a partiality towards them because they have received the oracles of God. They, they kind of took some pride in it. And Paul talks about boasting a little bit in this letter. Paul's digging at them here. He's saying, look, you have the law. That's great. But that does not excuse you from judgment just because you have received the law. Judgment comes if you do not obey what you have been given. Okay? 
So it's not just who have the law, but it's the doers of the law that are in the place they should be with God. Now, verse 14 is really interesting because for when Gentiles who do not have the law, and here comes Paul's kind of second argument of why uh, Gentiles that receive the judgment of God, that it's just that it happens. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, it's talking about unsaved Gentiles, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So in other words, Paul is saying there are, there are, there are ethics and a way of morality that we share in commonality as human beings. We have that. And that is another way that in violation of those things, it is in sin. Because notice what Paul goes on to write here. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So, those who have received the law, they'll be judged by that law. For those that are not under the law, there still is a conscious way of living. That's evidence of a God who made morality in the right way to treat one another. But in both cases, under the law or not under the law, judgment is for those that are in sin. Verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, now, now, now this is, he really kind of starts getting after the, the Jews that are hearing this letter right here. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and, and, and you can see some sarcasm dripping in here. And if you yourself are sure that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, Paul's piling it on here, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? So, so there was a pride, there was a boastfulness of the Jews that had the law. And they felt like they were the teachers to, to those that were blind and in darkness. And, and Paul is using some sarcasm here because watch what he says. He says, don't you teach yourself. So while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, he's really getting after them. He's saying, all right, you, you, Jews, you received law. That's wonderful. It was a gift of God, okay? It was, it was part of, of the ever-increasing revelation of God that leads to Jesus. You have the law, Right? And now, in, in pride and boastfulness, you think, now I'm a light to other people. But how have you not learned your own lessons? You know the law says don't do this, and you tell other people the law says don't do this, don't do it, but then you do it yourself. In that way, those that have the law have, be, have blasphemed the name of God among the Gentiles because the Gentiles see it. 
and you're a hypocrite in his eyes. So quit boasting that you have the law. If you have it and you're under it, live it. But don't be a hypocrite in such a way that those don't live the law. See actually how you live and turn blaspheme God and say, well, who is this God? Is he real? They must not really honor him and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so Paul is kind of getting after the Jews and the Gentiles here in the way that we must understand that we are all in sin, right? Be careful that we're not judging each other in our sin, okay? And be people then... What is Paul after? That the power of the gospel is salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. Let's just, let's just finish out chapter 2, and then we'll finish up. Verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law or, or the, the way of God, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Now, Paul is making an argument here that the uncircumcised, the Gentile, by beginning to follow the ways of God as they have been revealed to do so, are counted into the family of God, the circumcised, Right? So Abraham was called by God in faith, was he not? Abraham was essentially a Gentile when he was called. Isn't that right? Abraham was only circumcised later as a seal of his faith that was credited to him, counted to him as righteousness. We'll get into this chapter 4, I believe. Now, in that, the family of God, the people of God, the called out people of God began. And we have the visions of, of the great nation and eventually blessing the, the entire world through him and, and, and all those things that, that, that comes to me. But the seal of this covenant, circumcision. And that circumcision marked out the family of God. And what Paul is saying, first of all, if you're circumcised, but you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're actually uncircumcised. So your outward circumcision means nothing. But even those who are uncircumcised, if they begin to learn to live in the ways of God, not coming under law, but in the ways of God, they actually are as if they are circumcised. They are in the family of God. So physical circumcision is not what marks the family of God. It is, as we said before, the righteous who live by faith. Amen. That's the argument that Paul's getting at. Because they were using circumcision as, as this guide of who's in and who's out. Who gets in the club? Like the bouncer at the door. You're circumcised. Yep, you get to go in. Not, not well, the door's shut. Paul's removing that. I, I believe he says something here that is important. Verse 27. Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the what? The heart. And again, this is something that Paul is laying out. 
Circumcision isn't about being outwardly, physically circumcised, but it's a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter or the law. His praise is from man, but not from man, but from God. So that life of faith living in him, the power of the gospel by the Spirit circumcises your heart and brings you into the family of faith, which God is all about. Amen. Okay, let's stop there. 805. And, and there's never a good place to stop in this stuff because it's, it just kind of rolls with itself all the way through chapter 16. So what do we take from tonight? Paul is making sure we understand that both Jews and Gentiles are sinners in their sin. Be careful about judging one another. But there is the circumcision of the heart that is most important. It's the work of the Spirit. Okay? We will be judged for what we do, right? But there is, again, drawing back this life of living by faith. That is what it's about. And that is revealing the power of God for salvation, which everybody needs. Amen? Okay. I will close up there. We'll get on with this. Next week. Lord, Lord through, through all of Paul's uh, terminology and all the things that he's saying, and, and I pray we capture your heart and what it means to live by faith. That the power of the gospel... The power of, of salvation, righteousness revealed, is in how we live our lives. That we understand our need for dependence upon you. And Lord, as we are experiencing that in our own lives, I pray we are, we are like, as Paul was admonishing those hearing this letter, that to those around us that are struggling or those that are outright in sin, non-believers, that there is a forbearance that brings patience and kindness. The things that led each one of us to repentance, Lord, that we live in that way towards others. So the power of God in this gospel that we are not ashamed of can begin to touch their lives. I pray that we're agents of that. We just don't receive what you give us, Lord, but we are those that give what we have been given. And I pray that's how we walk in this, this world that needs Jesus. Lord, empower each one of us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, before you get up, grab the person next to you. If nobody's right by you, Reach around and grab them, and I want you to say a quick prayer over them personally. All right? Then when you're done, you are dismissed. We'll see you Sunday. But go ahead and pray. Grab somebody real quick. You don't have to be long about it.